Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. All right, well, we're on the final week of uh, our series called The Story of My Life, and we're looking at how do we live a better story. Uh, The phrase that kind of pushed us along the last several weeks is, uh, we've been saying that every life is a story, whether it is a story worth telling is up to you, right? Every life communicates something. Whether or not it's a story worth telling is up to us. And so we've been exploring how do we live a story of weight? How do we live a story that matters and a story that has significance? Uh, Going back to week one, we looked at story struggles, why our life stories sometimes get bogged down. And we said that one of the reasons is that we cast the wrong main character. Uh, Once we come to Jesus, that uh, the Bible's pretty clear that life is no longer about me being on the throne of my existence, but we remove ourselves and Jesus becomes the uh, protagonist or the lead character uh, in our story. Uh, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, uh, said it like this, that I must decrease that he will increase. He said, I must become less that Jesus becomes more. Why? Because he is now the main character in this story, that my life is to reflect him. It's no longer just about me. Second, we said that oftentimes we live off the wrong script, that we abandon the script that God has for us for an unauthorized version. And we said that any time that we will believe something about ourselves where God says the opposite, we're living off the wrong script. And so if I believe that my life is rather pointless and without meaning, and yet God says the opposite, that he has a purpose and a meaning for me, I'm living off the wrong script. When God would tell us that it is in our best interest to forgive, and yet we decide to hold on to bitterness, we're living off the wrong script. When God would say, hey, for your own safety, stop. You don't want to go down this road, and yet we continue going, we're living off the wrong script. All of us have stories Uh, and chapters in the stories of our life that revolve around pain and difficulty, oftentimes because we went off script. Second is that our story has a weak plot line. Or third reason that our our story struggles is that it has a weak plot line. We said that in any great story, there's a character who is after something that is meaningful, and it is their pursuit of what is meaningful that makes a good story. A movie about a man who simply wants a Mercedes isn't very compelling. No one is crying when he's driving off the lot, checking out his windshield wipers. There's no meaning there. There's no plot to it. In his book, A Million Miles in a Thousand Years, uh, what, what I learned while editing my life, Donald Miller said this, that every story is based on what people think is important. So when we live a story, we are telling people around us what we think is most important in, in life. He said, based on that statement, I was embarrassed by what I was communicating as being most important in my life. In other words, he was saying, my plot was weak. I really had nothing of weight, no significance, nothing that was epic, nothing that had eternal uh, value to it, and my plot line was weak. If someone was to look at the story arc of your life today, what would they say is most important in your life? Because a story communicates what we think is most important. 
The fourth reason why our stories get stalled is that we want to skip the scenes that matter. The difficult scenes in life are the scenes that we try to remove ourselves from or run away from or uh, position ourselves into a scene that is easier, but it is the scenes of tension, the scenes of struggle, the scenes of difficulty that have a way of shaping and forming us under that pressure. And so to remove ourselves often means we remove ourselves from something that God wanted to form or birth in us. Week number two, we talked about this idea of suspension of disbelief. That God, as the creator, has a story for us and that our job is to work within the storylines. But oftentimes, uh, we cannot suspend our disbelief. It's a literary term. We do it in movies as well. It just means that we must suspend our disbelief if we're going to engage in a story or a movie. If we don't, we sit there the whole time and we say, that's fake, unrealistic, nobody can fly. But we suspend our disbelief in order to embrace that story. Well, the Bible calls that faith, that we must suspend our disbelief and embrace the story that God has for us. Instead of saying, God, this is impossible, this, you know, this could never happen, right? This was the story we looked at two weeks ago. The 12 spies went in to scout out the promised land. Ten of them came back, said, we can't do it. And two of them suspended their disbelief. They had faith and said, no, God can surely cause us to, to, to take that land. We must suspend our disbelief. Number three, uh, last week... We talked about shake it out, that we disqualify ourselves from the story that God is writing because we don't feel that we are right for the part, that we have been branded throughout life, that we have words that have been branded into us that cause us to view ourselves in a certain light. I told you because of my upbringing, I had this word lazy across my chest and I can never work hard enough because of some of my upbringing and things that my father spoke over me. Not, he didn't mean to put this yoke on me, it's just, you know, what happened? He was a hardworking man all he knew was hard work. And so we said that because of this, that that we look at ourselves and we have a belief about ourselves that communicate things like this, that we are only as good as our last performance, that my esteem, our self-image is tied to the last game, the last report card, the last paycheck, the uh, last sermon, the last investment portfolio, the last child's behavior. We said that our performance is often linked to God's uh, approval and love for us. That love is not something that is freely earned, but it becomes something that, uh, that, or love is not something freely received, but it becomes something that we must earn. And so we perform in order to capture God's attention that he might not only love us, but like us. And it leaves us feeling that my worth is determined mainly by my performance. Today we're going to wrap up this series with a message that I've titled Turning Points. We said that the elements that make up a powerful story also make for an element of the elements of a powerful life. And in any great story, uh, there's always an element called a turning point. Now a turning point uh, are the story events, either plot or character related, that mark where the story turns and begins to head in a new direction. Every story, every movie has multiple turning points. Think back to your favorite story, your favorite movie. There's always a turning point. The moment when a character or the story takes a drastic turn. It might be a positive moment where the lead character discovers that the person that I will spend the rest of my life with has been in front of me the entire time. Or maybe it's a negative where the lead character realizes the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with has been right in front of me the whole time. Right? It could go either way. There's a turning point, a, a, a shift in the story that propels the character in a new direction. And all of us have stories that have multiple turning points. 
Seasons in life when we're headed in one direction and there's a sudden change of course, a relationship changes, or a phone call comes and good or bad and redirects our story onto another path. In my life, there have been phrases that have been uh, served as turning points in my life. Uh, Altered my story forever. The phrase, will you marry me? Major turning point in my life. I remember very vividly, April 13th, 1992, uh, when my wife Sheila begged me to marry her. I remember it just, it was yesterday. And uh, we had, uh, we dated for six months. We broke up, my fault. And after two years, we finally got back together and we kind of knew all right, this is going to go in marriage. And I remember the day going to ask her father uh, to, to marry her. And as if he knew I was coming, true story, I walk into his garage and he has all of his rifles out cleaning them. Really. And he talks in a slow cadence and a rhythmic speaking. And he's citing these in. And if this is me, he's citing them in. He's like, so you want to marry my daughter? And he stops right before it's on my... I wet myself. It was that big of a moment for me. He's like, you know, this garage is detached from the rest of the house. And no one can hear you scream. I guess that's the father's right to say those things when, when someone comes and. Uh, that was a, a life-altering phrase in my life. Another life-altering phrase was, uh, you know, we're having a baby. That was a life-altering moment uh, for us. I don't think there's a slower three minutes in life when you're waiting for that pregnancy test to tell you yes or no. You know, we've had that one of those, we were 42, and we thought maybe we were pregnant again, and that three minutes was the slowest, longest three minutes of my life. Uh, we have other turning points that will occur in life that, you know, maybe they're just a mild irritation uh, or some frustration. A phrase you never want to hear is you're being audited. That could be a turning point in life. Or license and registration could be a minor turning point in life. And then there's some phrases that test our ability to even proceed another day. I want a divorce. A a, a phrase that is a, a turning point that can challenge your resolve to even continue going on. Or a phone call saying that the test results are in and there's nothing we can do. There's our turning points that challenge the very core of who we are. But we're not alone in this. Uh, when we uh, look through Scripture, we see uh, characters who are in the same situation that we are in, who are faced with sudden and abrupt turning points that change their story in another direction. Moment, uh, Moses, in a moment of anger, he kills an Egyptian and, and uh, hides his body. And then for 40 years he's on the run and he's tending sheep. It was a major turning point in his life. After 40 years God finds him and says, Moses, I am rewriting your story. Another turning point. And I'm sending you, you to the most powerful man of the wor- in the world, Pharaoh, to disrupt the most powerful empire of the world. And you will lead my people out of slavery. David, as a young man, is tending sheep, and Samuel comes to his father, Jesse, and says, God told me that one of your sons would be the next king of Israel. David is minding his own business one moment, and the next moment, there is a mantle of leadership placed upon him as the next king of a nation. It was a sudden and drastic turning point in his life. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet of God at a young age. Abraham has said, you will be the father of a great nation. And Thomas touches the hands of Jesus after the resurrection. It was a turning point of faith. And we read these stories, and often we can jump to the end, but we forget what it was like to walk in their shoes. 
One minute, Joseph is his father's favorite. And in a turning point, his brothers throw him in a pit and then sell him into slavery. He finally begins to uh, get some favor and he's working himself out of this slave, uh, slavery position. And Potiphar's wife makes an advance at him and he's accused of making the advances when it wasn't him and he's put back in prison. And again, it was another turning point in uh, his existence, in his life. And we can see these time and time again. Jonah refuses to uh, do what God has asked him to do and so he goes fishing the hard way, right? And Jacob wrestles with God and, uh, or with an angel and he walks away with a lifelong limp and Mary is planning to be married and an angel visits her and it's a turning point in her life. And so for the rest of our time today, I want us to focus on the turning point in the life of the Apostle Paul. Paul was the super apostle. Apostle, He wrote a third of the New Testament prior to being a Christ follower. He was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he had Christians put to death and his life changed when uh, God intersected his life with a bright light and spoke to him and said, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And it was a turning moment where he went from being anti-Christ against the things of God to embracing the things of God and became a proponent of the church and of the cross and of Jesus. And his life was marked by both great success and great difficulty. Started numerous churches throughout his missionary journeys, but then he also found himself at times being shipwrecked and beaten and falsely accused in fear for his life. And at times he found himself in jail. The book, uh, really the letters of Ephesians and Philippians, Colossians and Philemon, are often called uh, the prison epistles. Because Paul wrote them uh, while he was in chains, uh, imprisoned in Rome. He returned back from, uh, to Jerusalem after one of his missionary journeys. And some of the Jews there began some rumors and started to stir up the city to come against Paul. Matter of fact, it got so bad that at one point they captured him and began to beat him in the hopes of putting him to death. And he was rescued by the Roman guard that took Paul and put him in prison because of the accusations that were made against him. At one point, there were about 40 Jews who uh, took an oath among themselves that said, we will not eat or sleep until Paul is dead. Now picture yourself in this position. One moment you are sharing the gospel and you're starting churches and the next moment there is a turning point and you are running for your life. So much of the city was against him that the Romans uh, ordered uh, some 200 soldiers and 70 horsemen to safely escort Paul out of the city and take him to Caesarea. There were that many people that were seeking to kill him. And so now he spends two years in prison. He then is brought back to Rome to, to uh, have a trial, and he spends another two years now under house arrest, and it's during this time that he puts a letter, pinned to paper, and he writes to the church of Ephesus and, and Philippi. He writes the, the book, the epistle, as we know, is Colossians, and he writes to a man named Philemon. It's easy to think that the biblical authors just kind of, God got them away in this serene, peaceful place, and God just spoke to them through nature and the chirping of birds. But it was actually in times of great difficulty, in times of great struggle, that God broke into their lives and spoke to them and through them. And so one moment he's 
testifying of God's goodness, and the next moment he is locked up. And this is how a turning point happens. It happens quickly. It's the phone rings and it's bad news, or the layoff occurs when you least expect it, or the relationship ends when you thought that it was actually going quite well, or the doctor calls and the test results are concerning. One phone call, one conversation, one email, and life can turn abruptly. And so as we look at Paul's letter to the church of Philippi, I want us to read his words through this filter. That difficult circumstances can either be a stopping point or a turning point in our story. Difficult circumstances. I don't know what's going on in your life. Some of you, I know your story. uh, But some of you, I know that life is kind of caving in and there's some difficult things going on in your life. Even in those moments, they can be a stopping point or a turning point in your story. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, speak so clearly to us today, and I pray that you would especially encourage those who find themselves in a difficult season of life. I pray that you would encourage those who maybe think their story is coming to an end, or that they've messed up, wandered too far, and that you can no longer write a story of value and weight and purpose for them. And I pray that you would encourage us to submit ourselves before you again, to have you work within us and through us. Holy Spirit, would you lessen the gap of anybody who feels very distant from you today, God? Would you step towards us and would we begin to sense your love and your forgiveness and your mercy to us? In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul finds himself in prison, and it's here that he writes these words. Remember the the lens that we're looking through, the filter. Paul says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me, now Paul's going to go on and he's going to explain what has happened to me. In other words, the the prison that I find myself in, Paul's going to give his description of what happened. Now, now let's just put Paul's words on hold and let me give you the Marty epistle of it. That if I was in Paul's situation and I'd been beaten and I had to, you know, ran for my life and then they they put me in prison and had to get 270 soldiers to get me out and then I came back and there's people who still want me dead. Here's how Marty would have wrote to the church of Philippi. I would have said something like this. I said, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me sucks. That's what I would have said. I said, look, I don't know what happened, but I find myself in prison. I don't care what you have to do. Get me out of this place. My cellmate just said I got a pretty mouth. I'm not staying here any longer. Get me out of here. That's what I would have said. I would have said, I spent all this time serving God and now he repays me by putting me in prison and for all of these, look, I don't know, freedom, give me just freedom, right? And you would have said the same thing, probably. Maybe not the pretty mouth part, but you would have said something along that line. We're so quick to complain when we encounter a negative turning point in our story or what we perceive as a negative turning point. And we spend the next six months or six years reminiscing of the good old days or reminiscing of what our story was supposed to look like but has not turned out the way we thought. But Paul had an ability to understand that turning points were not 
stopping points. And so Paul continues. He says, now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Listen, what what Paul is saying. These unfortunate circumstances have actually made my story better. Because ultimately, they serve to advance the cause of Christ. And Paul knew that I am not, Paul is not, the main character in his life, that his life now is to reflect Jesus. And he said, in light of that, these circumstances, this turning point, has actually made my story better. It's not a stopping point, it's a turning point. Not what I had planned, but God has not taken his hand off of this story. And it is a decision that we are faced with every time that life goes sideways. Will these circumstances bring an end to my story, causing me to throw in the towel and give up on life and just wait for the sweet release of death? Or or will they serve to advance my story, but just in a different direction? Stopping point or turning point. Paul goes on to say in verse 12 and 13, we'll read from 12 on again. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So Paul looks around at the circumstances and says, okay, not what I intended, not what I had planned, but began to see it as an opportunity for God to continue his story even in unfavorable circumstances. So what he was saying, look, instead of sitting in a corner and waiting for sentence, instead of uh, putting my story on hold, instead of waiting for someone to rescue me, or instead of waiting for death, Paul said basically, I use this as an opportunity for God to rewrite my story in another direction, and look what God has done. He advanced the story of Jesus. And so he uses the opportunity to tell every inmate and every palace guard, who, anyone who would listen, what God has done in his life. And soon the entire palace guard and every inmate and every guard and every maintenance staff and every cook and every room cleaner, whatever, they said the entire place knew of Paul's story and, and, and heard the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. Paul understood something that we missed, that my story does not stop when circumstances turn against me. It just becomes a different scene if we will submit ourselves and allow God to continue writing. A darker scene? Absolutely. But still a story that matters. See, regardless of circumstances, our stories really only come to an end when we decide to take the pen out of God's hand. Now, I am not saying that the the circumstances in your life were brought upon you by God. I do not believe that God brings the sickness and and, and, and God brings some uh, of what we experience. I do believe that oftentimes through our decisions, we bring some of those things on to ourselves. And I also believe that bad things happen to good people as a result of the sinful world that we live in. The promise that God gives us is that even when your life turns, as Paul's did, His promise is that I will give you the grace and the mercy that is needed to continue your story if you stay close to me. And so what Paul discovered was that my story has not ended and will not end here. And so maybe you find yourself at what could be a stopping point or a turning point in your story. And I think the best thing that some of us can say when we find ourselves in 
these circumstances is God, just keep writing. Don't put down your pen. Don't close the computer. Look, God, maybe I got myself here by, by, uh, because of my own decisions, my own mess, but don't leave me here. Keep writing and take this mess that I find myself in and begin to, to turn my story and make it a story of weight and a story of value and a story of a purpose. See, foreclosure doesn't end your story. Job loss, it's unfortunate, but it doesn't end your story. Whether you're single or divorced or, or a single parent or a second marriage, it does not end your story. The antagonist in your life does not have the authority to end your story. The relationship that you wanted that came to an end even after your best efforts does not end your story. A hospital bed does not end your story. Ultimately, even death does not end your story. That if our lives are lived in such a way, our stories continue. My wife speaks of grandparents and great-grandparents who sowed into the kingdom and she continues telling those stories and when her family gets together they relive some of those stories and relive uh, uh, people uh, further back in their family lineage because they lived in such a way that their story has not died. And so Paul knew, listen, I get it, the circumstances are not at their best, but this is not a stopping point, it is merely a turning point. And he's learned something that we can learn today, that sometimes we need to stop asking why and start asking what. See, the why question is, God, why did you allow this to happen to me? Why am I here? Why is it me? Why are other people seeming to be blessed, but, but, but why is this on me? And maybe we need to stop asking why and we need to start asking what, as in, God, what do you want to do in me and through me? at this season, this stage of my life. God, what will my story look like moving forward? God, what is it that you have planned in this chapter of life that is not where I want it to be, but what is it that you have planned to move me forward in this season? Listen to Paul's perspective in all of this. Even in jail, he has the ability to see God writing a story. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. In other words, what he's saying, look, the devil wanted to silence my voice, wanted to snuff me out, uh, wanted to end my story. None of that happened. What the devil meant against me for evil, God has turned it into good. And then in verse 14, he says, and because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. As he's saying, look, Satan thought he was going to shut me up, but I screamed all the louder. But the beauty was, is that not only did God use my story for my life, but then he took a, a negative circumstance and he turned it, and then he used my story to inspire others. And those who were once silent and fearful of the gospel for whatever reason, God took my turning point and now they are filled with boldness and they can't shut up. And Paul just, he, he had a way of understanding that even when it appears my story has stopped, if I stay submitted, God can just make it turn. And there is this amazing this, this amazing idea, look, we can speculate here. What does it look like when there's, a, there's a, this demonic 
a staff meeting that gets together and they're like, hey, that Jesus guy, uh, we put him on a cross and he converts a criminal and then we put him in the grave and three days later he's back and this Paul guy, we threaten him with his life and then we put him in prison and he comes back and the entire palace guard now hears about it and, and we try to shut him up but there's a hundred more that take his place. We can't stop his story and that is your story. That's Satan. That was a good applause moment, but you missed it. Somebody tried, but like, mm, I can't. Cat calls are optional, but applause would be good. Listen, this is the good news for us. Satan does not have the authority to stop your story. And that there will be things that will happen to us because we live in a fallen world. Sin is everywhere and bad things happen to good people, but it does not mean that your story has come to a stop. It just means it may be taking on a different scene. And so let the Holy Spirit inspire you and empower you today to speak the words, don't stop writing, God. Don't stop writing. And maybe you came into the service and you were hopeless and maybe you can leave today with the Holy Spirit upon you saying your story's not done. God can keep writing and create a story of worth and value. I want to leave you with this. Part of being a follower of Christ means that your story can be a turning point for someone else's story. And what that means is that maybe there's somebody in your life who's their turning point is waiting on you and an invitation to come to church. And maybe it will be where they discover the forgiveness and the mercy and and the purpose and the goodness of God. Maybe your life will be a turning point for somebody who's already in this church who is waiting on someone like you to invest in their story. See, I know more than you know. And I know as I look out that there are some whose story needs someone to come alongside of them who will invest in them and get to know them that their story would begin to turn. And you may be that catalyst. Maybe your story is a turning point in someone's story because of how you volunteer here or somewhere else to give yourself away, to be part of a team, to be bigger than you are as an individual, to do more than you can as an individual and become part of a team that is moving together. Maybe that is where your story helps someone else's story turn. Maybe it is God stirring something in you to start a ministry. We're going into a new season of the church, and part of our effectiveness will rest on what God stirs in you and what ministry He births in you to start in the next season, the next chapter of the life of this church. I've told you so many times that ministries cannot be birthed from this side of this music stand. And there's only so much that I or the other pastors can do. There are times, to be honest, I feel like I, I, I run on empty sometimes. It's an exhausting, never-ending position. To move us forward, it cannot be waiting on me to say, here's a great idea. It has to be you saying, God has stirred, has birthed something in me. Marty, can we sit down and talk about it? Man, those are conversations that I love. 
Because I'm sitting across from somebody who has a, something in their eye and something that's stirring in them saying, man, I'm getting really excited about what God is stirring in me and I think he has something big for us. And so maybe your story is going to be a turning point in someone else's story because God is going to stir something in you. A ministry to start, a ministry to make better, maybe a ministry to resurrect that we had at one point and nobody's leading it. I, I don't know what it looks like. But I do know in the next season of our church, the way that we represent the kingdom best is when all of us are telling a story. And then we gather together as individual stories and we become one story, the story of a church under the banner of Jesus Christ that seeks to be a turning point in the lives of others. Will you stand with me? Let's just take a moment. I just want you to listen to the voice of God right now. Maybe you're going to hear the whisper that your story isn't over. The Holy Spirit's going to encourage you to keep going. Holy Spirit, speak to us and break in to this moment. I pray that you would encourage those who feel like their story has come to an end. pray that you would begin to fill them with hope. Just, just invite the Holy Spirit upon you. Maybe just breathe in the presence of God, just saying, Holy Spirit, just fall on me. Be convinced that your story is not over, that your circumstances do not bring you to a stopping point? And would you just invite God to keep writing? Maybe you need to repent a little bit of an attitude and, and, and maybe you need to step into a new season, a new chapter of saying, all right, God, this is where I'm at, but you continue to write. Continue to create, and I'll continue to follow. I bless you today, Reveal, to live a story of weight and a story of purpose and a story that matters. I bless you to live a story that reflects Jesus in your life. I bless you to live a story that reflects his mercy upon you. I bless you to live a story that reflects his love and reflects the cross. I bless you to live in such a way that people would see your good deeds and that they would be directed to God who is in heaven.
I bless you with courage, the courage to keep moving forward. I bless you with strength. I bless you with a new perspective. And I speak hope upon you. For your story is not over. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I hope you enjoyed this series. I hope it spoke with you, uh, spoke to you. Uh, We'll start something new uh, next week. Look forward to seeing you guys here. If you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. If you'd like prayer, I'd love to pray for you. God bless you guys. I will see you next week.